I hate mosquitoes. Like, I hate them with a vengeance. Um, I can remember visiting my grandparents in South Texas and my aunt and uncle in Louisiana, and it was there that I encountered these terrible creations of God for the first time. See, I was born and raised in Las Vegas where we get about four inches of rain a year. Mosquitoes can't survive in Las Vegas, uh, but they can survive in South Texas and South Louisiana. And the reason that I hate mosquitoes is because they love me. They love my blood. And so I would get bites all over my arms and my legs, and I would itch, and I would itch, and they would get worse, and they would get worse. And I can remember one night, very vividly, I was about 12 years old, and I was at a baseball game in Louisiana, and I was sitting in the bleachers behind home plate, and I felt something on my leg. And so just instinctively, I swatted it, and my hand immediately felt wet. I'd hit the mosquito full suck, and so just blood was all over my leg. And, and I was really grateful that day because there was one less blood sucker in the world to cause us pain. And so I don't know if there's anybody who has my struggle there, but, but maybe you have a different struggle. Some of us don't struggle with mosquitoes. We struggle with the people and the things that suck the joy out of our lives. Anybody have a joy sucker in their life? Don't raise your hand too high if they're sitting next to you. Um, but one of our great challenges in life is, is that we want to experience a pervasive sense of joy. We want to experience joy on a daily basis, and many times our experience is far from that. We're around people or in circumstances where joy just seems the furthest thing from our reality. I grew up singing a song in church. I don't know if you know it. It's like, I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart, you know? And the hard part was I sang that song next to people who obviously put the joy down way too far because they couldn't find it, you know? Like, or they were the people who, you know, they, they said, I'm joyful. And I said, well, your face doesn't know, so tell your face, you know? And, and so, so the, the, the struggle of joy isn't just mine. I think it's yours too. And so part of this series that we're in called Life with God is that we're trying to decipher what does it mean to live life with God through all seasons, including a season of joy. You know, in the New Testament, in the latter section of the Bible, the Apostle Paul described the fruit or the evidence or the byproduct of God's life with us. And in Galatians 5, he said these words. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then next, he said, it's joy. Now, I find this so interesting because there's been so much real estate given to love. I mean, the Beatles said, love is all we need. I mean, so there's just all of this real estate around love in this list, but so rarely do we think of the fact that joy is number two, right there after love. And there's a lot of us that think a lot about how do we live with more love, how do we experience love, how do we give love, but not as much time is devoted to joy. We talk a lot more about love than we do joy. And I think that's because we live in this epic battle between joy and happiness. We live in a culture that has made happiness the single most important thing. Be happy at all costs, no matter what it takes, anything, just be happy. And so sometimes the struggle in the church is that we kick back and we overreact to that. So if culture takes something and makes it 
a good thing into a God thing and into an idol, we tend to just want to run from that. And so I grew up hearing that I shouldn't worry about being happy, that happiness doesn't matter. I should just be joyful, which to me felt like my mom telling me to say, my brother, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, like I just, I didn't really want to do it. I had to do it. And joy felt like this kind of, you know, terrible like replacement to the thing I really wanted. And I think that a lot of us, we struggle with this. And so today I'm going to talk to you about joy, but it's not in to say that happiness is a bad thing that you should never experience. I'm going to talk to you about how joy is larger and actually more within your reach. Because the root of the word happy is the word hap, which means luck or chance. The root of happiness is luck or chance. That's why our happiness seems so fleeting. It comes and goes. We have it and then we don't. It's so connected to our circumstances and experiences that we have zero control over. And I grew up in Las Vegas, as I said, so I know that luck and chance are dangerous things. They're not guaranteed. And so the reason why happiness is something we should be aware of is that it's, it's not within our control, but joy is. In preparing for this message, I was reminded of a book that really helped me a few years ago. The book is called Fight Back with Joy. And it's written by a woman named Margaret Feinberg. Feinberg spent a year researching the word joy and it's 400 instances in the Bible. And then right before she turned her manuscript in, she was diagnosed with cancer. And she went back and wrote the book all over because she didn't want to write a book about joy from the top of the mountain. She wanted to write a book about joy from the bottom of the valley. And one of the things that Feinberg says in her book is that joy is a wide spectrum of feelings, actions, and emotions. Joy is a wide spectrum of feelings, actions, and emotions. Joy isn't just the feeling you get when things are going well. That's happiness. Joy isn't the thing that that, that that comes over you when you realize you won. That's happiness. But joy is this wide spectrum of feelings and emotions and actions. And it's a reminder in this statement that while happiness is based on our circumstances, joy is bigger than our circumstances. Happiness is based on our circumstances, but joy is bigger than our circumstances. And that's why today I want to talk to you about joy because you're not 100% in control of the circumstances in your life. You're not. You're a phone call, a bad decision by somebody else away from your life changing. You could do everything you could and still not see everything work out the way that you want. And so happiness is not within your control. You should be grateful when it comes, but joy is within reach. And just so that you know, joy hasn't come easy for me. The reason why is that when I was 15 years old, a woman came into my family's life named Joy. Her name was Joy Baxter. And for 18 months during my freshman and sophomore year of high school, she stalked my dad who was the pastor of our church. Waited in the parking lot, called our house three and four times a day, 
sent letters, emails, destroyed or tried to destroy my reputation in our church by accusing him of impropriety. And so I went back and checked. I've been preaching for over 10 years. I think this is the first full sermon I've given on joy because joy has been a difficult thing for me because for years, whenever I heard the word, I didn't think about what God wanted to give me. I thought of that experience. And so today, if you're somebody who struggles with joy, you're in the right place. And so if you walked in and you got a bulletin, and that bulletin is a handout, and that handout uh, has a place for you to write, write the big idea down for this morning, and that big idea is this. The strength of our joy is God's steadfast love for us. The strength of our joy is God's steadfast love for us. And as you'll note today, I'm preaching a sermon about joy, and I'm having a chance to apply the things I'm saying to you, because my voice is a few octaves lower than it normally is. I've completed puberty at 33. (laughs) And so I'm making a joyful noise today, not a beautiful noise, Uh, but I'm excited to share these things with you. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm 100, Psalm 100. Each week in this series, as we explore a life with God, we're exploring a particular psalm. And Psalm 100 is unique. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know when it was written, but we do know why it was used. Psalm 100 was sung on the way to a worship gathering when the Hebrews would give a thanks offering to God. They came to God's presence to give thanks. They weren't obligated to go. They weren't under compulsion. They chose to be here. And the same thing is true, I hope, for most of you. No one forced you to be here today. And despite your circumstances, for the last 15 minutes, you were singing and thanking God. And so this psalm seems appropriate as we talk about joy. Today, we're going to learn three surprising truths about joy. And the first one comes from verses one through three. The writer says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is good. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The first surprising truth we learn about joy is that God's character is the source of our joy. God's character is the source of our joy. And this is, again, a reminder of why joy is different from happiness. If happiness is dependent on our circumstances, joy is not because joy is dependent on God's character and who he is in spite of our circumstances. In verse 3, the writer says, It is God who made us, and we are his. We are his people the people of his pasture. The reason that they're giving thanks on this day, the reason they have joy is who God is and what God has done. Not that life has worked out perfectly for them, not that they can capture it perfectly for an Instagram or a Pinterest post, but God being God is the source of their joy. In that book I referred to earlier, Margaret Feinberg writes, joy emanates out of the abiding sense of God's fierce love for us. 
Joy emanates out of the abiding sense of God's fierce love for us. The reason that these people could have joy is that they had this continuing abiding sense that God loved them and was with them regardless of circumstances. And so when they looked at life, they didn't have to worry about performing or achieving or manipulating life to give them what they wanted to have a sense that they were okay. They had a sense that they were okay because they knew that God loved them and that idea and reality gave them joy. I want you to stop for a second and step back and look at your life. Past, present, and future. What reasons do you have to be joyful as you look back in the past? See, again, if you're in the happiness mode, you go back in the past and go, well, I had all these things happen to me that weren't good. That's why we're not talking about happiness. We're talking about joy. And if you see things that were difficult and yet you're still here today, heart beating, breathing, because God loves you, and has never abandoned you, then even in your past, you have reasons to have joy. You look in your present today and you see the mixed bag that all of our present is. Some things have come true that we hoped for. Some things we hoped for have not. And yet you look at today and you go, God is still with me. I am here and I have things to be thankful for. Then you can have joy. And these people said in Psalm 100 that God was with them. They were his people, the sheep of his pasture. He was going to watch over them. Then as they looked towards the future, no matter what lay ahead, and we have no idea what lies ahead, we can be joyful because we are with God and he is with us and his character is the source of our joy. In Psalm 1611, the psalmist wrote these words. He said, God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The second surprising truth we learn about joy is that we can have joy in real life, not just our ideal life. We can have joy in real life, not just our ideal life. Again, for many of us, we, we put joy in this maybe one day when things work out, when circumstances are orchestrated, I can have joy then and there. And yet we're reminded again and again throughout the scriptures that that ideal time may never come, yet we are still called to choose joy. Throughout the Bible, there's a command that's given us, and it's recorded in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. I should say Thessalonians, not Corinthians. But in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, we're reminded to rejoice always. Many of you have been told that Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible. Well, in the Greek Bible, in the original language, this is the shortest verse. Rejoice always. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, we're given three commands that are the things we're to do every single day. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Paul doesn't say rejoice when you feel like it. He doesn't say rejoice when circumstance merit it. 
He doesn't say rejoice when it feels like the natural thing to do. He says rejoice always. And the word rejoice in the original language literally means be happy, well, and glad. Some of you might say, Scott, how can I be happy, well, and glad in the middle of pain? How can I be happy in the middle of grief? How can I be well in the middle of doubt? How can I be glad in the middle of adversity? How can I be happy in the middle of depression? How can I be glad in the middle of cancer? Well, you can't if you are gonna find your reason for being happy, well, and glad in your circumstances. Because in those places, I don't see a lot of reasons to be happy, well, and glad. No, to rejoice in real life, we're going to have to find joy in something bigger than our circumstances. To find joy in real life, we are gonna have to find joy in something other than our circumstances. Which is why joy can happen in real life. It can happen in the life that you're living today, whether that's the life you thought you were gonna live in 2017 or not. Most of us, if we raised our hands and we're honest, are not where we thought we would be. I mean, right? I mean, if you had a crystal ball 40 years ago and you said, ooh, where will I be and what will I be doing and how will my life look like? I mean, most of us are not where we thought we would be. And if that's true, then that means that joy is available for us today because joy is not based on circumstances. Joy is based on the character of God and he gives us joy in this real life. You know what's shocking? This was surprising for me when I put it together. Some of the most joyful people I've met are people who've been not through the least pain but the most. Some of the most joyful people I know have been through the ringer. I mean, they have seen difficult days. They've seen horrendous loss. I mean, you, you hear people, and, I, and I've experienced this too, who go to the other side of the world, and you meet people who don't know anything about 4G LTE internet speed on their phone. They've never been on an airplane, much less complain when the internet broke. They've never waited in the drive through line for too long. And yet they shame us with the level of joy they live with. See, if we keep waiting for life circumstances to line up and at the end of that get our pot of gold of joy, we will be waiting until our last breath. And so I want to remind you today that I can't promise you that following Jesus is going to be the yellow brick road to happiness. We're following someone who was unjustly arrested, beaten, and murdered. He's the guy we're following. So if we're following him, we're not going down the road of ease and happiness. But he says to us that he wants to give us joy. Frederick Buechner, a 20th century award-winning writer, said this. He said, joy is a mystery because it can happen anywhere, anytime, even under the most unpromising circumstances, even in the midst of suffering with tears in its eyes, even nailed to a tree. In the book of Hebrews, when speaking about Jesus, the writer said, 
for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Why did Jesus have joy about what he was going to go through? Because he knew what those circumstances would produce in our lives. Freedom, hope, the grace that you just witnessed in the baptistry this morning. And so that's the mystery and the beauty and the surprise of joy is that even amidst the worst circumstances in our real life, we can have joy. Finally, in verse five of Psalm 100, we read these words. The writer says, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness continues to all generations. The third surprising truth we learn is that God longs for us to trust him so he can bless us with joy. God longs for us to trust him so he can bless us with his joy. In John 15, 11, Jesus has his final message to his disciples. And he says these words. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We think about joy as this thing which we have to create within ourselves. And so if we did a survey today and you went on a scale of one to 10, how much joy do you have? You would think about, well, how much joy do I feel right now? How much joy do I have? When the truth of this verse is that the joy that you can experience doesn't begin in you. It begins in Jesus. And his desire is to give you his joy and make your joy full. It's not a matter of the joy that I have. It's Jesus saying, hey, my joy, I wanna make it your joy. Jesus didn't just come to forgive your sins and, and preserve you to eternity. He came to give you joy here and now today. And the way that you experience that joy is by trusting in him and not your circumstances. We read Psalm 13 a few weeks ago when we discussed doubt. And in Psalm 13, five, the writer says, but I have trusted not in the things that give me doubt, but in your steadfast love, may my heart rejoice in your salvation. See, there's a link between trust and joy. The more and more we trust God, the more and more his joy becomes available to us. The less and less we trust him, the more and more we go looking for joy in other places, in other things. Speaking on this, John Piper said, the gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. The gospel is a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. Jesus didn't just come so you could go to heaven when you die. He came so that here and now today, you could experience abundant, full joy. And that's why I think this has been a message that's been missed by so many of us. Because we've never heard this joy is available to us. Many of us have, have fallen back on some of the pictures we've used in this series of, of our life with God. We've, some of us live this life under God where we're not worried about joy, we're just worried about God not smiting us off the earth for all the bad things we've done. Some of us live life over God, and so we've kind of figured God out, and we've got our own ways to find joy. 
Some of us are working so hard to serve God and do good things that we're just hoping somewhere at the end of the road there'll be a little bit of joy. And some of us go looking to God for joy like we go to a vending machine looking for a soda or a bag of chips. And yet God wants to live life with us. And in that life, our everyday life, he wants to give us joy. The truth is many of us have given up on joy and settled for substitutes. A lot of us substitute other things for joy. Some of us substitute pleasure. We look to things that make us feel good, that numb out the pain and the hurt. But what we find with those things is that it always takes more and more to make us feel good. But afterwards, it means less and less. That could be shopping. That could be alcohol or drugs. That could be pornography. Many of us substitute those things for joy. Some of us substitute control for joy. We're not getting joy from life, so we're just gonna control life until it gives us that's what we want. And yet we learn that life can't be controlled. It can only be lived. Some of the most unhappy people in the world, the least joyful, are the most controlling. They think it will give them what they want, but it doesn't. Some of us substitute success for joy. Well, if you substitute success for joy, then you're only as good as your last at bat. You're only as good as your last quarter's results. You're only as good as your last performance or your last report card. You're only as good as the amount of money in your bank account or the, dep- the depreciation on the vehicle you're driving. You're only as good as what you've been able to get that someone else hasn't been able to get yet. Success ends up leaving us not more secure, but less secure. Not more courageous, but less afraid. And some of us, we substitute approval for joy. Well, if you live for the approval of people, you'll die from their rejection. People cannot give you lasting joy. If you look to a person to give you lasting joy, you'll suffocate them because they can't give you what only God can. And that's why we're gonna talk about some next steps this morning. On the back of your handout, if you're still paying attention, (laughs) step number one is to begin each day by claiming God's love. Begin each day by claiming God's love. Before you turn to pleasure or control or success or approval or something else in place of joy, I want you to turn to God and to claim his love for you. See, we believe in the gospel. What we just celebrated in baptism is that God knows everything about Nick and Jennifer. He knows everything about you, including what you just thought about right now. He knows that too. And yet, knowing all of that, he loves and accepts you more than anyone else. He receives you and calls you his own. He will remain faithful to you. Most of the time in the world, the people who know us the best sometimes like us the least. But in in the gospel, we're known more than we've ever been known. And we're loved more than we've ever been known. And so each day this week, as you begin your day, I want you to remind yourself of three words. 
And those words are, I am loved. Before you turn on and see what's burning down Twitter today, before you turn on Facebook and see what your friends are all worked up about, before you check the 47 emails that came in since you left work, or check your bank account, or see how your kids are, before you start the carpool, I want you to repeat these three words. Because regardless of how well you do with all of that, these three words will still be true. And so just because I need this and, and you need this, would you say them after me? I am loved like you mean it. I am loved. For good measure, one more. I am loved. Begin every day this week by claiming that truth because it's that truth that is the source of your joy because nothing that can happen this week will change that. Number two, I want you to look for joy bombs. Look for joy bombs. You say, Scott, what do you mean? Well, a few years ago, this phenomenon began called glitter bombs. And uh, a glitter bomb is a prank, it's a rather mean prank, that you pull on someone by mailing them a pressurized container of glitter, which explodes upon opening. And I've got an example of one to show you this morning. So I have no idea how he got it off. Um, But I want you to remember that image because in the same way that, that you would send somebody a glitter bomb and they'd think it was a poster and a tube. So if you get a tube, just watch out. Um, I'll be watching out. Um, I want you to, to, to be aware that God wants to bring joy in your life. And I think too many of us, we just walk around life with our head down, being really good and really devoted and really busy and working everything out, and we don't look up for God to bring us joy. I mean, you, we make fun of people who do this. I once walked into a fire hydrant while texting. My wife's over here. She can testify she was there that day. It wasn't my greatest day. But we all do this, whether we have a phone in our hands or not. We just have our head down. And we miss all of the things that are the joy bombs that God wants to bring into our lives. Joy bombs could be as simple as a sunset or a great meal a call or a text from a friend, a great workout or trip, enjoying the fruit of your hard work, sitting next to a certain person, getting in your car and watching it start for the first time, walking in a room where someone knows your name and smiles because they're glad that you're there. These are all joy bombs that God wants to bring into our lives. And so many of us are too busy and so serious we just miss them. So I want you to look for joy bombs. Second, sorry, third, give joy to others. I want you to give joy to others. Some of you are going to find this hard because you say, Scott, I don't have joy right now. How can I give it to someone else? This is the surprising way that God's world works, his economy works. That when we give someone joy, we find our own. Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life must lose it, and whoever tries to protect his life will lose it. 
And so when we choose to give joy to others, what's surprising is that we find joy ourselves in the process. And so this week, if you're struggling to find joy, maybe you could begin a list of the people around you who need joy and get creative about ways you could introduce joy bombs in their life. And it's surprising. I'm not guaranteeing this is a one-to-one thing, but so many times when I give what I need, I find myself discovering it for myself in the process. And finally, number four, I want you to fight back with joy. Fight back with joy. We don't often associate that word with that word because we don't view joy as a weapon, but it is. You see, a lot of us, when we go through life, we use self-destructive weapons. When someone hurts us, we reach for the weapons of bitterness and revenge. When our plans are disappointed, we reach for the weapons of anger and cynicism. When we're going through a hard time, we reach for the weapons of depression and frustration. Well, what if we reached for joy as a weapon? What if in this world, instead of fighting with anger and bitterness and cynicism and revenge, what if we fought back with defiant joy? I was literally sitting here this this week thinking, in, in light of everything that is happening in our world right now, why on earth am I talking about joy? Earthquakes, fires, a never ending season of hurricanes, political tensions, threats of war, racial conflict, violent protests, drama on Facebook and Twitter. Doesn't it seem foolish to be worrying about joy? And the answer is no. Because our world needs a joy that doesn't deny what's happening, but that defies what's happening. Says that even in this, I will find joy. Even in this, I will rejoice. Even in this, God's love remains steadfast. And so even though my circumstances are not what I planned, even though I'm not where I thought I would be, I'm gonna choose joy because the strength of my joy is based on God's steadfast love for me. God is with me. He hasn't forgotten me. His love remains. And so my joy can endure. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the joy that you've brought into our lives. Not because of our circumstances, not because of our goodness, but because you love us. And we come today to confess that in so many seasons, And in so many places in our lives, we've looked for joy in things other than you, in places other than you. And we all know the emptiness and the frustration that's brought with it. And so today, we come to you with open hands and humbled hearts because we know our own sin and brokenness. And we don't want joy as this world gives it. 
We're not looking for temporary circumstantial happiness, although that is great when it comes. We want your joy. We want you to fulfill those words from John 15, 11, that your joy would be in us and that our joy would be full, that it would be abundant. God, we live in a world that has so many needs. Sometimes joy seems like an insufficient thing to bring as a response to those needs. But you said it was going to be one of the main signs that you were in us and at work in us. And so we pray that you would give us not just joy today, but defiant joy. The world's had enough angry, sad, frustrated Christians. We pray that, that you would enable us, enable us to be defiantly joyful ones. Who in the midst of whatever comes our way next would choose to believe that you are still God, that you are still good, that you still love us and that you will remain no matter what comes next. We pray that we can make a joyful noise today and praise you because you remain steadfast. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.